Welcome to another episode of the Big J and Little J Show. I'm your host, Jordan Mann. Along with me, as always, is Connor O'Neill. Connor, Duke, 4-0 after a 41-7 beatdown in UConn. First off, how are you doing? And second off, college game day, baby. Before we get into game day in Notre Dame, I want I, – I just – I need it because of my ego. I need you to, to give me – what is it? Uh, three words. Just, Just – as simple as possible. The first one is you. The second one is were. The third one is correct. You were yes, right. Yes, or right. I was you going right. for it. Yeah, nothing to worry about with Notre with with UConn. I almost said Notre Dame. There's lots to worry about with Notre Dame. Nothing to worry about with UConn. Uh, easy cover, forty-one nothing, and give up the t- shutout with twelve seconds left. Put you at ease there. Yeah, that was a. Uh... RIP to the people that had the under in the game. It settled at 45 and a half. And so oh. touchdown with 17 seconds left or 12 seconds left. It was very meaningless for everybody watching, except for <laughs> you had the under and you're just screaming for Duke's second team to please get a stop. You're doing the Coach K floor slap, just get a stop. And yeah, so 41-7, but you lost the under. Won the over, but yeah, brutal touchdown at the end. Yeah, see, there's there's so many things to bet on now. I feel like the meaning of SVP's bad beats loses its mojo a little bit because you can find. I feel like you can find a dozen examples of that every week with first half over unders and uh, all the prop bets that are out there with like you know a third string running back getting the getting a target at the end of a game when it's a ten point game and all of a sudden he's got like thirty more receiving yards than he had. But but yeah, I mean. Now that now that it happened, I can sit here and say I told you so. Um, Duke is a much better team than UConn. They showed it. It's it's not a program that's going to take anybody lightly. Uh, until that happens, I think we just keep saying that when they go into these types of games. Um, they've got a couple more of them coming up in the ACC than we thought. Uh, especially if if they're going to be the better conditioned and stronger team, uh, they're going to rise. The, the cream will rise to the top in November as weird as that is to say about a Duke football team because of where they're coming from in the history. Um, we might see that play out. Yeah. I mean, we know Virginia is terrible at the back end there the week, bef- the, the weekend before Thanksgiving, but. Yeah. I, I was trying to pull up a tweet when you were talking about like the schedule now, like there are some teams on Duke schedule that aren't who we thought they were, which we'll dive into more, but Coming in the season, you know, it was like, well, Duke's schedule is a lot harder than last year. And now I saw somebody tweet that, like, Duke has one of, like, the softer schedules. And I don't know if the context was who they've played so far or in general. And I'm just laughing at that narrative because if you go back to week one, if Duke did lose to Clemson, say Duke lost to Clemson by a field goal. Let's just say a field goal. And then Clemson will drop probably to, like, 12th, like, go from 9th to 12th. They won, but they'd drop some. And then they have an OT loss, so number four Florida State team. They would probably, after they won the previous two games, so they're three and one with a close overtime loss to a top four team, they're in the top 10. But instead, since Duke beat them by three touchdowns and then they lost to Florida State, it's basically the Duke loss is what's holding Clemson back from like the view of this team's not good anymore or this team is a down year. Because the Florida State loss, they should have beat them. I mean, Dabo, it was just weird coaching to settle for a field goal with a career backup kicker who was chilling on the beach in Charleston for this whole fall. And then you're like, Hey, 
games on the line, settle for a field goal for this guy. Besides that, man, I think I'm just saying the narrative is always funny with Duke football that it always switches. Duke starts having success, like, well, they haven't played anybody. And then if they pull off the miraculous upset against Notre Dame, it'll be like, well, maybe Notre Dame's not who we thought that we were or they were. And then, yeah, Duke might be top 15, but they haven't played anybody. See, this is, and the, the interesting part of this is I, I kind of already lived this in the, in my career two years ago. Like Wake started, I think it was 8 0 after they beat the hell out of uh, Duke in that god awful Cutcliffe final season. Um, you know, Wake had a, a last play, I think it was, field goal to beat Louisville. And it was a Louisville team. Like, everybody was kind of on the fence about whether Satterfield would be there another year. Um, they had to go to Syracuse and win in overtime. So it was used against them that they had to beat Syracuse in overtime. It's like, yeah, but weird shit happens in the Dome. Like, you cannot – yeah, it's, it's not the best Syracuse team in the world, but it's just the circumstances of playing up there. Um, they like only beat Florida state 35, 14 that year. Like people are just the, the, the main point here is people are going to find ways to knock you until you are basically undefeated three years in a row. Uh, it's just going to happen to, to certain schools if you don't have the cachet and the name recognition. And that's what Duke is fighting against. And it's a losing battle. But at some point, you win the battle if you're good enough for an extended period of time. So there's light at the end of the tunnel. You're not going to get to the tunnel this year. Like, that's just not going to happen. Um, but, yeah, it, it takes a long time to change perception. And yeah. it takes consistent results. Yeah. And, I mean, all you, like you said, all Duke can do is continue to win and beat who's on your schedule. And so far they're 4-0, and we'll get back to the UConn recap real quick. I mean, Duke won 41-7. It was not close at all. But the one thing about the game for Duke offensively was it was sloppy. This was the first game that Duke has not scored a touchdown now on the first possession. It snapped the five-game streak of them scoring a touchdown in the opening possession. I jinxed it with tweeting that. And it should have happened. I didn't realize it was that long. Yeah, do a better job of reading the game notes. It was the first three games this this year and the last two games of last year. They had opening uh, points, not maybe not touchdowns, points in general, field goal. Oh, okay, but still points generated on the opening drive for Duke. But still could have continued. But Ryan Leonard overshot Jordan Moore, who had about five yards of separation by the defender. But the ball was also like three yards overthrown. But it's fine. If you're going to have a sloppy game offensively, and also Duke only ran for 74 yards on 27 carries, but as Elko pointed out, the front six for UConn's defense is their strong suit and, like, their identity. And so Duke knew they had to throw the ball against them uh, on Saturday. But if you're going to have a sloppy game, you're going to be up 27 nothing and a half, and it's sloppy, and you're Duke football who has a history of having sloppy halves, and you're either losing or – playing with your food to us, an inferior opponent, and it's a close game. So I'm perfectly content with 27 nothing at the half as a sloppy game. Besides that, defense lights out. First first half, I think UConn had, what, 32 yards? Something it like, was not. It was, something yeah, like that. it was low. Yeah, so 
that's basically my brief recap of the game is like, hey, it's okay that they came out sloppy. This is the first game all year Ryan Leonard was looking deep and the weather conditions weren't great to be looking deep. Like it was just sloppy all the way around in Yukon or in Connecticut, but still through for 248. And it seemed like Duke was really holding Leonard back running the ball. Like this was a game they didn't want him to take unnecessary hits. He only had four carries against that defense where, you know, he normally has like 10 carries, 10 to 12. So Duke definitely had a game plan, executed it very well. And, yeah, now we're going into game day, baby. Yeah, in, in real games, uh, see, I, I, didn't, I wasn't able to watch the game. I listened to David Shoemate and uh, Dave Harding and John Ross, John Rose or Ross. Um, well, he's getting mixed up on that. But um, Roth. It's Roth. Roth. It's neither one. Yeah. Um, do a great job, by the way. Uh, I knew that about that crew, but it was really the first time I got to listen to him for a whole game. And that was they, they did a great job. Um, when you remove QB run from Kevin John's options in in the plays he's calling, like that's that's a big part of what Duke does with Riley, and it's a big part of you know it's it's why they're successful on offense, or it's at least one of the reasons. Like every every offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator would tell you, if your quarterback is a runner, it makes it that much harder to defend. Um, you know, it, it's unless you have, uh, like the Mac Jones, Alabama team where every other player on the field around him is a legitimate star. You have to run your quarterback to be an elite offense in college football. Um, if you take that away, you're, you're kind of telling me, and, and it's against a G five, it's against an own three team. You're telling me, yes, you just want to get your quarterback through the next week. Um, you don't want to take unnecessary risks. So, yeah, I, I don't think the – I think Riley will have a QB draw, and I would I would wager it's going to come in the first couple drives against Notre Dame. Yeah, the one thing about Duke, too, their playbook, he hasn't even – Kevin Johnson's not even opened up the playbook. Besides maybe a little bit against Clemson, it was, still wasn't, like, crazy to where – Scheme-wise, it just doesn't need to be. Like Lafayette, Northwestern, UConn, there's no need to tip your like tip your hand against those opponents for a Notre Dame, Louisville, UNC to get film on. So there's going to be plays in the playbook. Not I'm not saying trick plays. I'm just saying like different route runs and stuff like that that we haven't seen from Duke that's going to happen against Notre Dame and different run designs, run schemes that is going to happen Saturday. It's like, whoa, where did this come from? It's like, well, it's been in the bag, but there's no need to show it on film for opposing defenses. Yeah, I get where you're coming from. That's one of my biggest pet peeves, though. I don't think offensive coordinators like hold everything in reserve for certain games. I think you get the work where you can get the work. I, I, I think you'll, I, I think you'll see some play actions and play fakes off of what Duke has already done. Like if that's right. what you're talking about. Yeah. I, I think that is coming. The count- I, think that's the, I think that's the grand scheme every season. Like I think that would happen if you took Duke's four hardest games and put them in the first four, we'd still see that kind of stuff play out over the next eight. Like we're going to see this Notre Dame game as we'll dive into will be a game where Riley, you'll see Riley again having carries because he needs to run the ball for this Duke offense to be at the level of where it's been for a year and a quarter now, if you will. Yeah, and you look at you look at how Duke used him against Clemson, it'll be a lot of the same stuff. I mean, they they trust him to make the right decisions. They trust him on a first and ten if he drops back. He knows that 
instead of forcing something somewhere, just throw it away or scramble and take your three yards. Uh, that was a big thing. Like Mike Elko has, has talked to us about that and talked to us about talking with Riley and talking through these progressions and talking through the situational football of understanding that like your percentage of converting a uh, first down from second and seven compared to second and 10, it's an increase of like, I'm pulling out numbers here, but something like 30 to 40% increases your chance. So it's playing the numbers and the percentages and being smart with it. And, and Duke has a quarterback that understands that. Um, So does Notre Dame. And and so does, so does that quarterback who's I think now got 51 starts in his college career under his belt. And I think I've seen about 46 of them. Yeah. If anybody is familiar with Hartman, you're more familiar with it than Elko. (laughs) (laughs) But see, that's the thing is like, I'm not because he's in such a different offense. Like I had this conversation with a couple guys on the, on the rivals network that cover Notre Dame. Um, it was going into the game against NC state. And so it's like, okay, Sam Hartman went to NC state twice in the last four years and wake lost both games. Sam played pretty terrible against them. And if you take the last three matchups against state, uh, they did not go well for Sam. Like he had, I think maybe six interceptions total in three games. Um, just, just bad. Uh, state got to him even the game that he beat him in winston-salem that basically clinched the division uh sam had three interceptions and i think his completion percentage was under 50 percent so they're all geared up to ask me like how much of an advantage does notre dame have having seen sam hartman and haven't had success against sam hartman and it's just like they don't have one he's a completely different quarterback he's 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 in a completely different offense when he hands the ball off he's not getting wrapped up by some 270 pound unblocked defensive end off the edge because it's a RPO or the, the slow mash, the hang and bang, whatever wake wants to call it these days. It's not that play. It's just hand the ball off to Audric Estime, who looks like an NFL running back already and watch him go through a hole that an NFL offensive line created for him. And, and that's why, that's why evaluating Sam is, and that's why I asked the question to to Elko on Monday about it is just whether there's any advantage to to knowing Sam and having scouted him last year. Like it's important to know, like Duke Duke doesn't have four to five years of knowledge on Sam Hartman because he was at Wake Forest. Duke staff has one year of knowledge from last year's game, right? And well, um, and probably even only four games worth because it is a different offense. So like you can't look at the slow mesh plays but what i was more so saying is you would know you know sam hartman's like if he makes it a miraculous throw you're like oh, i've seen that before you could say like week two of like 2018 you saw that same throw. yeah yeah, you know, yeah. like oh i didn't know he had that you had a point to make yeah you and you did i mean you're correct <laughs> that was my that was my reasoning with notre dame going into nc state though too is what you said is like yeah he played bad but that's like if, when notre dame i don't know if they played louisville or not but they did <laughs> Then, like, Hartman played horrible at Louisville last year in that third quarter. But that's not, I'm not going to knock him for that when they play him this year if they do. And so, yeah, I, we're on the same page there. But let's talk about Notre Dame. I already talked about Hartman, who has 1,200 yards passing this year. And he looks, I mean, I'm not going to say he looks good. He's been good his whole career. He's 
just taking it now on a national stage. I think it's 14 touchdowns and no interceptions. Uh, it is definitely 14. Yeah, 14 touchdowns and no interceptions. So, yeah. yeah, that was a funny moment in Elko's press conference where it was uh, Sam hasn't thrown an interception this year. Riley hasn't thrown an interception this year. Of course, Elko wants one of those things to change. I'm sure Notre Dame people want the opposite thing to change. <laughs> but it's it's two quarterbacks that really understand the value of the ball uh, mm-hmm. more than anything, and that's to – to drop the one basketball line in here before we get to some more. Um, you have to value the ball every possession. Yeah, you you do have to value the ball every possession. And people like to say about Duke, there's people that are like, uh, it's like the turnover luck or something like that. And it's like Duke's due for a regression because of like their plus minus was insane last year. And then coming now this year, it's still increasing of their turnover differential. At what point, my argument is at what point are we like, this is just what it is. Cause we're 16 games in, are we 16, 17, 17 games into Elko's era. And this is what Duke is. They are very cautious with the ball when they have it and they force turnovers against opponents, and doesn't matter if it's Lafayette or if it's Clemson. Like, they just force turnovers. So my question to you is, do you believe there will be a regression, or do you think that it is what it is at this point? Duke is who they are. Man, I'm going to straddle this fence so hard. Uh, You can straddle it. Yeah, I just – part of me wants to believe the analytics because the analytics bear out that it does there is got to be a regression at some point like you're not gonna be plus 16 two years in a row that type of thing um maybe that'd be a little karmic because of how bad duke was with turnovers in 2020 but i digress and don't mean to rip off a band-aid there um shout out chase bryce (laughs) but look i i do think the, there is some validity and truth to where you where you have uh, Duke's players, Duke's coaches telling us we do coach this. We don't just get lucky and force fumbles. We don't get lucky and avoid fumbles. Like they drill it into players, and when you're at practices, you kind of you can see that better than fans that are just watching games or analysts that are just looking at numbers. Um, that's that's where I'm on the other side of the fence of thinking that part of it is sustainable. Like part of it is this this program is going to value the ball. This program is not going to fumble the ball very often. Um, and and when it comes to quarterback, they're they're going to make sure the quarterback understands time and place for for when to take risks and throw into traffic and throw under pressure and and that kind of thing. When to press the issue. Uh, the other thing that that kind of goes unspoken when people are talking about turnovers is game flow. Like when Duke jumps out to these three and four touchdown leads, they're going to take the ball on offense and just run the ball twice. And then if they have to, they're going to throw the ball on third down. If it gets the third down, that's a good point, especially in the first three games, they were so damn good running the ball. They barely had a third down to convert. And if they did, it's still third and one, like, you're going to run the ball on that down. So it's yeah. it's really like 
yeah, you can you can talk about how well they protect the ball, but part of them protecting the ball is just getting out to these leads. And that was that was more so a case last year. It's it's kind of been the case against Northwestern and against uh, UConn. They were tied with Lafayette for a little bit there, and then we know how the Clemson uh, game flow went. But when you get out to those leads, you don't have to put the ball in harm's way. You don't have to play in these third and longs. You don't have to put yourself in the situation that leads to a lot of turnovers. And so that that's also another like sustainable thing as long as Duke, you know, I'm, I, I don't know if they're going to run out to a three touchdown lead on Notre Dame in the, in, in the end of the first half or whatever. I, I know you'd love that. Oh, uh, I would streaming the game on your phone out there in California or whatever. But yeah, it's just, it, it, there's, there's so many more factors that go into turnovers than just looking at the numbers and saying, well, this team was plus 16 last year. There's no way they can be plus 16 again this year. Yeah. I mean, I think you just said it best. And that also shows how Duke can separate two with the other team trying to throw being behind so much. Like that's how Miles Jones picked off Northwestern because they were yeah. just down big trying to create a play. And that's how you get those. And then the same with Clemson club, Nick throws it to Shipley deflected. Maosi gets the interception. So yeah, a, a lot. Of, that's very true. I'm going to start using that as my, uh, as my argument that game flow is how, which is, it, it is true. It is true. And I, I just watched it happen twice in the game that I covered on Saturday night. Like yeah. Wake is down seven. Mitch Griffiths is trying to scramble and create something. And he throws late to a guy that was open on the sideline instead of running forward because he knows that they've got to get first downs and got to get the ball in the end zone to tie the game. And that was turnover number four of the game for Wake. And then turnover number five was, again, you're you're now down two touchdowns. You have to really press the issue. I can't even remember what happened on the on the last interception, but he got picked off again. I mean, it's just there's so much more that goes into turnovers than I think people realize. And I, look, this is not an original idea. Like Elko has told us this in press conferences. Um, you know, that's that's where I think half of being a good journalist is just being able to listen instead of think of your next question. But that's neither here nor there. Well, to go off of the game you saw Saturday, game that I saw Saturday was this Notre Dame-Ohio State game where they lost by one yard. They lost 17-14, down one yard – or down one man with one yard to go twice. And so Notre Dame's 4-1 and one coming into Duke. And their only re real win that I can even think about besides playing Ohio State was NC State, that who we've talked about, and it was a 21-point win, 45-24. And but NC State, man, that's a weird team. They beat the UConn team that we just watched Duke demolish by only 10, and they beat a bad UVA team at UVA by three. And we won't really know what NC State is until this week they play against Louisville, and that will be more of like – where are they? Because Louisville's offense looks really good so far this season. And we know what uh, Hartman's capable of, as we've talked about. And it's kind of, you want to say, a homecoming game for Jared Parker, Gerard Parker, the offensive coordinator for Notre Dame, as he spent one year as a football operations assistant in 2017 for Duke and one year as a receivers coach in 2018 before leaving. Um, I did not I, know that. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I – in our preseason, I said Duke would be 
I think I said Duke would be four and one, and I said Duke would lose to Clemson and beat Notre Dame is what I had because of Gerard Parker. It's his first year as an offensive coordinator, which we'll go into. And my question to you, what type of version does Duke get from Notre Dame? They get the pissed off version because they just they should have won that game against Ohio State at home, and you're looking at them being maybe right outside the college football playoff bubble because of that win and instead they lose and so now it's just like they're coming to Duke to burn down Wallace Wade on national television or is it a team that's hey like people forget I did say they're four and one so that means this is their sixth straight game that they're playing without a bye and that was a very physical game they had against Ohio State and then I think they do play Louisville next week I think Duke's like the sandwich spot for them so so my question is, are the, we getting a fired up burn Wallace Wade down or are we getting just an emotionally drained team that is going to play hard at Duke, but they just – they need that buy, and that buy is not in, for another few weeks. I think you'll, the, the one thing I know Notre Dame will bring is at least another GA or analyst who's in charge of counting how many defensive players are on the field. Yes. I would myself and I probably millions of people would love to be a fly on the wall for the conversation of how do we play the last two plays of a, of a game with 10 players on the field. Um, I will stand by my opinion that if you realize it, run out there and catch the snap and take the penalty they're going to move the ball up 18 inches and you're going to get to play it down with the same number of players as the other team. And it'll be untimed, but whatever. So before you continue, the one thing I did hear Andy Staples on part of my take today, and he said he talked to Marcus Freeman and Freeman said the reason he did not do that is because he's 30 yards away on the sidelines. So the coach can only stand, stand at the 30. And when they realized it, by the time they would have got a man on, he wouldn't have made it – or two men – like, just to get too many men on the field, it would have been too far for them to run 30 yards. So not only would have been a flag, but it would have been a free play, and he didn't want to give them a free play plus an additional play. So that's that was his reasoning. But, yes, I see your point. I've, I've had my buddy Douglas Farmer, who covers Notre Dame for NBC, explain this to me, and I still think – you. you send your entire sideline onto the field and have them tackle Kyle McCord or do something like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do do something other than what happened is yeah. basically the crux of, of my argument. <laughs> and yeah. it's not a very good one. But... No, that's fair though. <laughs> that is very fair. And for the record, they did come up with a uh, system now to where if they have two, if they don't have enough men on the field, a coach will signal to the nearest DB and he has the signal to basically touch to grab the wide receiver. So it'd be an offsides or encroachment yep. penalty to blow it dead. So there you go. See, this is the this is the what fascinates me about college football to to sidetrack again here. Um how many teams do you think actually practiced long field goal returns before 2013? None. Like how many people I think the number would be shocking of how many people didn't even realize you could return a field goal that came up short if you caught it in the end zone. But then the kick six happens. Everybody in the country knows about that rule now. And everybody in the country for the last decade 
has practiced, okay, let's have our, you know, let's have our walk-on kicker who might not be a walk-on kicker like Todd Polino, but let's have our walk-on kicker try to kick a 64-yard field goal. Let's put our punt returner back there. Let's have our field goal block team practice what happens in this scenario. Let's have our field goal unit, all the big guys that are charged with blocking the kick. Like that was the problem for Alabama on the kick six was they had a bunch of 300-pound linemen trying to chase down a, a punt returner. Um, so moving it forward, like how many teams in the country this week just went over, okay, if it's this situation, if we're on the goal line, the other team has the ball, you know, everything about this situation. And we realize we have 10 men on the field. What do we do? I, I promise you, I would bet my life. Notre Dame is not the only team that went through that scenario in practice this week. Just, just knowing how coaches operate, like they, they are not the only ones that now have a contingency plan of, Hey, if this happens, grab the receiver or like swat, swat the ball away from the center. So he can't snap it. Or like, I, I guess don't go tackle the ref, but like the entire defensive line jump off sides. Like that stuff fascinates me, but to get to your original question about what version of Notre Dame comes, I mean, it's really, that's, that's one of the keys, right? Like, and we don't know. And that's the thing is they can say whatever they want. You just don't know until you're in it. And I think coaches will tell you the, the hardest games to come back from are the emotional wins and the emotional losses. Like when, you know, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to think of the best example here. I don't know if there's a, I got one. I got one. The Duke Miami, the lateral. Duke was yeah. top 20 in the country when that happened, and Duke should have won that game to continue to top 20 in the country. Duke ends up losing three out of four after that, and they go eight and four or something like that. And that yeah. season, they were six, that would have been six and oh after that game or seven and oh, something crazy. So, yeah, I, we, I've seen it. I've seen a team have an emotional loss and not get it together after that. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's the most difficult thing in the world to recover from. Uh, I saw it last year with Wake and Clemson. And the crazy thing about that was Wake gets its heart ripped out. DJU throws seven touchdowns. He's supposed to be the worst quarterback in the ACC, and he lights you up. They beat you in overtime in your house. And then Wake played the best game of the year. Like, they went down to Florida State and handled them and won by 10, which, you know, to – I'm so sidetracked. I uh, clearly need another five-hour energy today. You're good. But, uh, the, that was the weird part of Wake's season last year was they lost that game and then went down and beat Florida State, and you think everything is okay. And then at the end of the year, they still fall off and, and lose four or five going into the whatever crappy bowl they were in that was pre-Christmas. But, yeah, it's at the end of the – like you can make all the NIL jokes about how they're, they're not just student athletes anymore. They're, they're professionals. They should act professionally. They're still 18 to 22 years old in, in most cases, miles, miles Jones is coming up on 25, but he's, he's special. He, he played with Johnny Manziel, you know, um, they're still 18 to 22 year old kids, man. It, it, it just, they react different ways to adverse situations and they react different ways to good ones. 
Like, Duke was a little lackadaisical after the Clemson win. Like, they just wanted to get through the Lafayette game, and they wound up being, was it tied 7-7 going into the second quarter? Yeah. Yeah, like, you're you're going to have some of those pitfalls. So, that's I don't know what Notre Dame is going to look like. I don't. I don't know if Marcus Freeman knows what Notre Dame is going to look like. What do you think uh, for Duke to upset Notre Dame? What do you think needs to happen? I I kind of think Duke has to throw the ball. I don't I don't know if I would want to put an exact number like Riley has to be over two eighty or three hundred, but I think Duke has to throw the ball again. And I I don't think you beat a team like Notre Dame with only 70 some rush yards like they had against UConn, it's got to at least supplement it. Mm-hmm. But I, I just, I think Notre Dame is good in the run defense. I'm talking. Um, you know, I, was, I, I was answering a question in a Q and a earlier this week and it was just like, don't these teams looking at how they run the ball and how they're built and then looking at how their what their defenses are predicated on, aren't these teams just going to line up and beat the hell out of each other for four quarters? <laughs> like, isn't this isn't this just going to be four yards in a cloud of dust uh, every series? Like, that's that's what I look at, and and so I I tend to lean toward whichever team actually has success throwing the ball, and I, I don't know which team that's going to be. Yeah, I'm. I can definitely see. I can see that happening. My my thing is how you said they they as a Notre Dame has a good run defense. Duke's run defense is gonna have to step up big time because I know the defense is well documented, giving up seven points every game basically. Besides Northwestern getting the garbage touchdown and Duke was twelve or seventeen seconds away from pitching a shutout at UConn, but when it comes to like and a similar opponent with talent, it's Clemson. And Clemson, Will Shipley had 114 yards on the ground of 17 carries. The team ran for 213 yards. Granted, the defense for Duke were gassed because when they did finally bend, don't break, the offense would go three and out in the third quarter, and then Clemson would drive all the way down again in the red zone, and then we'd make a stop and so on. But Estime, dude, Audrick Estime, He's not even an NFL running back. That dude's a tank. Like, the guy is 5'11", 230. And if Duke's offense has these three and outs or short drives and the defense is gassed, you're going to see missed tackles and Duke fans will be mad, like, wrap him up. You cannot wrap up this guy. You can't. It has to be gang tackles. The guy's averaging 7.7 yards per carry, dude. The guy averages basically eight yards a carry. I mean, he's insane. 40 carries for 213. And uh, five touchdowns. Or I'm that's sorry, boosted, that's boosted a little bit by his uh, 80 yarder against State. I take that back. I read Clemson's uh, carries against Duke: 77 carries for 591 yards and five TDs on the season for Audrick Estime. But yes, he had that run against uh, NC State and Ohio State. He only had 14 carries for 70 yards. So that guy's going to run like a bull seeing red against Duke, and Duke just has to be ready for it. And the linebacking, the linebacker play for Duke has to be as sure tackling as they've ever been. Like, because the front four will do their jobs and they'll get pressure and they'll win the line of scrimmage more times than maybe they should. But then it's that second level. Can Cam Dillon, Trey Freeman, Mausi, 
like one-on-one in the hole, can you wrap him up to at least slow him down until everybody else comes around to push him backwards? Because he's going to fall forwards. You just got to – you got to wrap him up first. It's also there's, – there's a there's a big piece of this that um, Duke has to set the edge, and that was something I, I just went back and rewatched the Clemson game. And part of the reason that Maffa and Shipley have some of the success they have is because uh, – Vincent Anthony is trying to gain weight. Like he's trying to get bigger and become a ACC offense, uh, defensive lineman, but man, he gets moved off the ball a lot. He gets moved off the line of scrimmage. Uh, and then when he's, when he's thinking pass rush, he comes too far up the field and you can't set the edge. If you're eight yards in the backfield, getting pancaked by the tackle. So that's something to watch for. That's, you know, that's one of the reasons why they need Anthony Nelson to be healthy. Uh, Remind me whether he played. I'm trying to look it up here as I go. He played against UConn, right? Yeah, I don't think he was injured. I think he he wasn't on the injury report before the game. So maybe he didn't play a a lot of snaps or anything, but he was dressed. Yeah, he's um, he's got three games played here, and I know he missed one. Oh, he played two snaps at UConn. Oh wow! I need uh, to according that. to PFF, so but maybe he is battling an injury that I was not aware of. No, yeah, he is. Um, he missed the Northwestern game. I think something happened to him in the Lafayette game, if my memory serves correct. Okay. Um, yeah, he's been banged up. I believe Elko said he's going to be back. Um. That's that's a big one to you know dial in a couple hours before kickoff to know whether you have Anthony Nelson or not. Justin Pickett got back. Uh, if if we transition this to an injury report of sorts, Justin Pickett practiced on Monday. He's pretty important for the offensive line rotation. Um, Jalen Coleman finally got in there for his first carries in a two minute drill. I didn't I didn't think we were going to see that uh, in that spot. Miles Jones is playing against Notre Dame too, who who sat out against UConn. And I joked with you before the season started. I was like, pick and choose the games Miles Jones plays, and that's basically what Elko said. He said he had a minor injury, and we just wanted to sit him out precautionary reasons against UConn. That's the way you got to do it with the guy with the history report like that, like an injury history report. As the guy that as a guy who missed more games in college than played due to injury, I know it's like, hey. Play these games and set these games. And that's what they did with him. So you're right, but you're not entirely right. Because as long as you say I'm right partially, I'm running with it. I'm, I'm <laughs> fake news. <laughs> he was fine at the beginning of last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's put it that way. It wasn't until around the middle to end of the week that, oh, they might not have Miles Jones. But uh, partially right is 100% right on Twitter. So the plan was to play him. Uh, and that plan had to had to be altered. Um, but yes, uh, you're you're absolutely right. That's what Elko said on Monday that they held him out for precaution mainly, mainly or mostly, whichever one of those you want to go with. Um, should be back. They're going to need him because Notre Dame has some big guys to catch the football. That's one thing. uh, One of these Q&As I had to go through this week with Notre Dame people is Duke has two really sizable, like, NFL-looking corners. 
Also, I would argue three their three best defensive backs are all around 5'10", 180 <laughs> between Brandon Johnson, Jalen Stinson, and Chandler Rivers. Um, you, you can I can hear any argument that uh, Miles Jones has been one of their three best defensive backs, and, and we can go back and forth there. But the point is the three short guys, as, as good as they are, like they've been paramount to Duke's defensive success. They aren't big, and they're not growing three inches overnight. Um, I've had to have that conversation with the Wake people when we talk about their their quarterback. But uh, yeah, it's um, you threw the what was what was that uh, autoplay thing? Yeah, thanks. Uh, ESPN.com. You can never ever just advance your website <laughs> to have Capital One ad automatically playing when I'm looking up just the box score of something. So shout out to ESPN.com for having the worst website there is. <laughs> Golly. And I, that's so annoying, but I'm sorry to cut you off there, but yeah. But yeah, Notre Dame has big guys that catch the ball. Like I think Holden stays is the tight end slash receiver. They have East six, four Jaden Thomas is big bodied six, one, two, 15. Um, it'd be interesting to see how much Notre Dame cuts it loose and how much they rely on their run game. What is your prediction since we've, we're wrapping up now for this game? What give me a prediction? You don't have to give me a score prediction or anything, but like your gut feeling of what obviously the atmosphere is going to be something we've never seen before. We'll close with game day in Durham, but before that, give me what's your feeling for this matchup for Duke Notre Dame? Whichever team has more success throwing the ball wins the game. And my prediction is, since I'm not going to be able to watch it, soak it in, because I'm in that wedding in Colorado. Shout out to Keith for ruining my life. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, since I've missed all that stuff, I feel like I'm going to miss some bad things. I think I think Duke drops to Notre Dame. I do think Notre Dame's going to come out aggressive, and I think Estimates will have a big game on the big game on the ground. All jokes aside. And I think Notre Dame's like at five and a half. They opened at two and a half and they got just floored to like six very quickly. And I think, I think Notre Dame wins by a touchdown. So, so I think it'd be less. I, I, I mean, touchdown is, is if, it, if it comes down to a field goal, I just, that was the stat I was pulling up before Capital One started talking. If Duke <laughs> is winning or is tied and Notre Dame has to settle for a field goal, I hope it's, Past 40, like 40 or more yards, their kicker is, I uh, got out of it. The kicker for them, outside of 40, he is two for six. He's 0 for two from 40 to 49 and two of four for 50 or longer. He's wow. three, three of seven on the year. So he's only kicked, he's one for one in like from 30 to 39, that's it. So college kickers, baby. If it's tied up or Duke's up one or two, if it's 40 or longer, I like Duke's chances of him missing. It's a lot of red zone efficiency if he's only kicked one field goal from inside 40. Oh, shit. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. That's that's what I hear when you give me that stat. Yeah. All right, so we'll wrap up with this. College game day is obviously coming to Durham, and huge, huge thing for Duke. First off, it's nice to know Duke's going to be practicing when a big event happens like this, unlike when Kay's retirement ceremony and – Duke basketball barely practiced for UNC. So shout out to Elko and staff for still practicing. And, and for Paolo for dropping that nugget. 
Yeah, seriously. And um, you said Spurrier as a guest picker on Twitter, obviously, when it dropped. And I fully support the Spurrier movement. I think Spurrier, with his charisma, his sense of humor, and his obviously knowledge of football, when he does picks, he'll be throwing shade at every team that he's always hated and just back every team that he's always adored. So that's the that, that's the thing about it. You always have to remember that it is a TV it's a show. production. It's a yeah. show. It, it's made for entertainment. It's isn't isn't the E stand for entertainment in ESPN? I think so. Yeah, entertainment sports. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, but we're getting off track. But yes, he is that basically my question is is that who you still would like want to see representing Duke on game day, not like anything else. That'd be my number one pick. Like that's that's the first phone call. The phone mine. calls have probably already been made at this point. They've probably already decided. Yeah. Um too. we'll just get we'll need to get to the reveal. But um let me check Spurry- my phone real quick before like we keep talking and like, <laughs> they drop it while we're talking. No, I haven't seen anything. We're good. Burrier would be my number one pick. Uh the other ones on the entertainment side that would make the most sense in the world to me. Uh, Ken Jong went to Duke is from Greensboro. Uh, he's been on game day before. I'm not sure what, like what was his tie to be on. They was on Michigan state's game day a couple years ago. Yeah. I'm not I don't sure. know what, what exactly his tie there. Maybe you went to undergrad at Michigan state and grad at Duke or flip it. Something like that. Okay. Yeah. I, I think he did med school at Duke. Yeah, um, so maybe his undergrad at Michigan state then. And he's always been, he, he's, been supportive of Duke. It's not like he's, you know, you have to Google to find out he went to Duke. Like people know he went to Duke. Like he's associated with going to Duke because he's, I think, done a few appearances or commercials or been, you know, in the news goes, about. Yeah, he goes to Duke basketball games too. But my only knock on him is he hasn't been anything relevant since like 2009 or 10 when the Hangover like first came out. Like if this was game day in 2011, it's like an A list celebrity. But now we're in 2023. It's like, hey, remember this funny guy from The Hangover that was 12 years ago? That's my only knock. But he is—he is a comedian. He has has a good personality too. But I, I still, think you're not a fan of the show Community. Oh yeah, he's on Community too. I've only I haven't watched Community though, but I forgot he's on Community too. Sorry, that is a that's a mean knock by me. But I'm just thinking of national relevance and. Spurrier obviously has yeah, a coach. It started in until 2015. Huh? Community ended in 2015. So really it ended in like 2013 because the last two seasons were god awful. But let's well, see. And there you go. It's still been about a decade. Yeah. More relevant than your 2009 or 10, though. Well, I was saying the hangover, which is way more popular than community. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld has a, like one kid just graduated from Duke and the other one is still at Duke. And everybody knows Jerry Seinfeld, even though he hasn't been in anything since 1997. Since Seinfeld I mean, way, that's air, completely that's whatever. completely different. Jerry Seinfeld is that's completely <laughs> that's apples and oranges. I mean, my goodness, they're both comedians. <laughs> We're naming like one of the best all time, and then just a comedian. <laughs> that is that's insane. That's like I don't even. That's like I don't even know how to compare that with me. Like that's just. Yeah, that's top tier comedian, gross income, everything, popularity, and then one that's just C-list. 
I was not happy with your Ken Jeong has been relevant in 13 years, if that's not clear. I can tell. I mean, I didn't know. I, was, I thought I was the only super fan on this damn podcast. I didn't realize there was two of us. When I didn't I, even realize I was a Ken Jeong super fan until 10 minutes ago. <laughs> but um, Michael Strahan is another one that makes sense. I think he has a daughter at Duke. Um, obviously, like, Michael Strahan is everywhere. He's on Good Morning America, right? Like, yeah. he's – he arguably be the most famous person that's been a guest picker this season and i say that knowing that only vince vaughn has been last week's so i don't even remember well i guess the rock did the one in colorado so yeah like the rock. which which one's more popular between or more famous between michael strahan and the rock i have no idea yeah um but there's only one way to find out and that's for everybody to watch game day saturday where game day will be filmed at duke university for the first time ever and soak it all in, Duke fans, soak it all in this week, like literally day by day, like embrace what's happening in Durham. Don't don't try and think forward to the games like I want Duke to win. No, like live Friday night knowing Saturday Duke University is going to be nationally broadcasted for their football program and not basketball for the first time ever. Like soak that in as a fan base, recruiting, all that fun stuff that's outside of the game itself, just like – Enjoy it. Do not stress about the game until game time. Yeah, that's the you you touched on it there. Um, it's going to be a Duke football celebration. It's going to be a celebration of Duke, but more importantly, it's not going to be a celebration of Duke basketball. And oh, by the way, there's a football game here. Um, that's important to people at Duke. I, I've kind of, you know, two plus years on the beat. I, I definitely didn't have a good enough handle on that. Uh, on the periphery, both when I worked in Burlington before then um, and when I worked with the journal and when I covered Wake, like, did not understand the, it's, it's not really divisiveness that comes with Duke football com and Duke basketball comparing the two and Duke, every sport compared to Duke basketball. But there are some lines there. And, and I think everything I've heard uh, in relation to like who's going to be the picker and what's what's what are they going to talk about on the show when they feature things about Duke? It's not going to be you know, hey, there's Coach K's office up there. It's still on the sixth floor, and it's hey, there's Shire. He's got the boys practicing this morning. Like there, there might be some of that touched on. Like I'm sure they're going to have at least one segment from Kville or whatever. Like they'll tie in basketball some way. It's not going to be the featured part of it which which is important i think well connor i'm looking forward to it man i can't wait to find out who it is when i have to rewatch everything since i'm going to be missing everything but yeah that about does it that sums it up uh this is another episode of the big j and little j show and hopefully next week we'll be talking about an undefeated duke team who would be damn top 15 in the country connor that would be insane but connor brother i appreciate you as always thank you no problem thank you